I'm so honored to be here this morning. And for those of you that don't know what KBC stands for, that's Kentucky Baptist Chicken is what that is. <laughs> that's actually the Kentucky Baptist Convention. I do serve you as uh, one of your representatives of the Kentucky Baptist Convention. And we have this goal in mind, to make Jesus known to Kentucky and the world and that the gospel be shared in such a way that people can not only hear the gospel, but, re- but respond to the gospel and join us in heaven. Amen. Isn't that what we're about, isn't it? This morning message, this, I want to focus on your hearts this morning, if I could. I want to hopefully take some of you into places that you need to go to. I, this is a lesson that I learned way too late in life. Um, let me just start off with a little story, if I could. When I was uh, five, six years old, I can't recall exactly how old I was or what sin I committed. My mother caught me doing that thing. And when she did, she said those words that no child ever wants to hear. You know the words. You wait till your father gets home. The problem was he always got home. And I knew what happened when he arrived there. There would be a spanking for the boy. And so I got very fearful and ran back into my room and climbed in the closet and shut the door thinking, he'll never find me here. And I waited. And I waited. And I waited. And finally, I did hear this. Some of y'all go, what is that? I heard the screen door begin to open. Anybody know what that is? And I knew it was my father because my father was five feet, six inches tall, 333 pounds. (laughs) Yeah. People always go, really? (laughs) Yes, he was gifted. He was. (laughs) Uh, I heard his footsteps going through the hallway. Boom, 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 boom. And then I heard my mother yell, Jerry, I need to talk to you. I didn't like that either because I knew what she was going to talk to him about. And it was me. But I'm hiding back in my closet. Then I hear him come in my direction. Boom, boom. Those footsteps just moving forward. They got closer and closer to my room. He throws the door open and says, Rick, where are you? I didn't say a word. I'm not stupid. (laughs) I sat there waiting. Rick, I know you're in here. But his voice sounded different than other times when he had had to take this kind of action. Um, He really sounded different. He sounded kind of likable. And he opened the door to the closet, and he said, come here, son. And I said, okay. Now, I knew what was about to happen because this was a common practice in my home because I was a common kid in my home. And before I describe this, I want to say to you, this was not a beating. This was healthy discipline. So in our world today, some of you are going to go, boy, your your parents were child abusers. Man, we did pretty good, okay? But my dad was five feet, six inches, three and 30 pounds. Here's how it normally worked. He took his belt off. He's a big man. Keep going, folks. Keep going. And when he finally got it off, he took it in one hand and he took my wrist in his other hand. And we did kind of a ring around the rosy kind of deal. And uh, we got understanding of the situation in those moments. Now, this was a different day, one I had never seen before. Instead of doing that, he said to me, son, lay across the bed. And I'm thinking to myself, my gosh, he's upped his game. This is not going to be pretty. So I'm laying across the bed, and he said, no, son, turn over. I'm thinking, this is going to be abusive. And he starts hitting the bed. Boom. Boom. And he says, scream once in a while so your mother can hear you. Boom. (laughs) Boom. Now, I will say this. It wasn't great parenting, but it was great grace. You see, grace is forgiveness in spite of your sin. 
During those moments, from the moment my mother said, you, get, you wait till your father gets home, to the moment this experience took place, I experienced what many of you are experiencing right now because of your sin, from the point of that sin to the present moment. You experience this overwhelming shame and guilt, this darkness over your life, this condemnation that is unnecessary. You sense that you are an unworthy person of God's love and that God no longer loves you because if you're a sinner, God surely couldn't love you. That if you're covered with your sin rather than his grace, that you are a useless human being in his eyes. And that is a lie of the enemy. This morning, if you've got your Bibles, I'd be grateful if you'd turn to Romans 8, beginning at verse 1. That's where we're going to land this morning. Romans 8, beginning at verse 1. And it says this. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his only Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, But according to the Spirit, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. To set your mind on the flesh is death. But to set your mind on the Spirit is life and peace. I want to quickly give you some thoughts on this important passage. The first one is this. There are two types of people in God's mind. There are those who are in Christ And those who are outside of a relationship with Christ. He says twice in this passage that you are in Christ, then there is no condemnation if you are in Christ. Some would say, well, how do I know I'm in Christ? You know you're in Christ if you believe Jesus is the Son of God, died resurrected from the dead, and you are willing to confess him with your mouth to those who would question what you believe. Scripture says this, confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him would not perish but have everlasting life. It is a question of belief and commitment. If you are in Christ, it means that you believe in Jesus as the son of God, died, resurrected from the dead, and that you are willing to take a stand on his behalf. Now, someone say, now what's this take a stand thing? What it simply means is this. If you love someone and you know their love, you're not embarrassed about them. You are willing to speak of them. Baptism is a public representation that you are no longer your own, but you are his. You're buried with Christ, rising to walk in newness of life. We find ourselves now his, not our own. We are in him, and when we are in him, then we know that there will be no condemnation for us. It's a beautiful thing, folks. It's an amazing thing. It's almost uh, beyond our own comprehension that someone who is perfect love would love me, who is a very healthy, um, who is a very practicing sinner. It's an amazing thing to think of God's love in that way. But there will be condemnation for those who are not in Christ Jesus. In fact, there will be two judgments. Jesus is returning. Would you agree with me about that? 
Some of y'all would agree with me that it's possibly soon, if I look at the morality of our world today, he's not going to linger long. Perhaps. Nobody knows. But you have to wonder if you look at the signs of the times as we often talk about. There will be a judgment when Christ returns. All will be taken before him for judgment. Now, there's great confusion about this. There's a mindset that all of us will get in one big line and step before Jesus. And he'll say, your name's written in the Lamb's book of life, or it's not written. And then some cast into hell and some move forward to be with Christ in heaven. That's not so. There will actually be two different moments of judgment. Here's what David Jeremiah wrote in one of his books. The judgment for Christians will occur at the first court, the judgment seat of Christ, immediately after the rapture. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. That's 2 Corinthians 5.10. The purpose of this judgment, listen closely, the purpose of this judgment is not to pronounce condemnation. No followers of Christ who submitted their lives to him All of their bad deeds will be covered by grace. The purpose of this judgment is for Christ to assess every believer's earthly works to determine rewards for faithfulness. If you are in Christ, you can rest assured going before Jesus will be a beautiful moment. But there is a second judgment. At the great white throne judgment, however, unbelievers and those who who pretend to be Christians will stand before God. Here they will face the consequences of rejecting Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. This judgment is the final bar of justice in God's plan for the inhabitants of planet Earth, and there will be no grading on a curve. The accused will be judged by the black and white standard of absolute truth. The white throne judgment will be nothing like our modern court cases. At the white throne, there will be a judge but no jury, a prosecution but no defense, a sentence but no appeal no one will be able to defend himself or accuse God of unrighteousness it will be a judgment of grim finality there will be two judgments if you're in Christ you can celebrate that moment if you're not in Christ you can rest assured that it will be the darkest moment of your existence and you will exist forever separated from God in a place called hell it does exist it is not in somebody's mind's eye It is a location that we have not seen yet. We need to understand that there are two situations, those who are in Christ and those who are not. Now, the problem with our culture today is that we live in an everybody gets a trophy world. Right? Everybody gets a trophy. I once, as a pastor, once sat in a uh, family's home, and they wanted me to see their daughter's trophies. She had a trophy case, had a bunch of trophies. She's probably 10, 11 years old. I don't know. Walked over and looked at her trophies, and I'm going, wow, she must be gifted. I mean, she must be quite an athlete. Now, one of the trophies really caught my eye because it said, you're the best. Impressive. It was a soccer trophy. So I thought I'd get kind of the feel on this one. I'm going to like, how many many goals did she score? And the real, it was dead silence. How many assists did she have? And finally, the mother says, we just want you to know, Pastor Rick, that was her best sport. And later her dad caught me in the hallway and he said, Rick, she was horrible. (laughs) She was really bad. In fact, after like the second uh, practice, we told her she could go when she wanted to, didn't have to show up for anything if she didn't care to because it wasn't going to be much fun for her. You see, in our present world, 
we want to tell everyone you get the reward whether or not you've done the deed. This young girl was completely confused about her status, and many people today are confused about their status. They want to believe they can get to heaven through Muhammad. They want to believe they can get to heaven through any belief system that works for them. They want to believe they can get to heaven through the Oprah belief system. Believe whatever you like, and God's going to bless you. But Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. There is one way to face the King of kings and Lord of lords in the way that you long to, and that is to accept Jesus Christ and be in Christ. That's what we must always keep in mind. Now, for those of you that know a little theology, you know this fact. You know that no one can stand in the presence of God unless they are completely pure, morally pure, that there is no sin on them. You realize this. This is not a surprise to you. So how is it that any of us can go before Christ in our state? It is because there is no sin on you. That passage tells us that there was a price that was paid, that God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. Listen, by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled. And the righteous requirement of the law is this, that there be a sin sacrifice for sin. And Jesus was that final sacrifice. Now, let me try to illustrate this for you a little bit on a very personal level. Let's imagine that every time you sin, you're hit with a paintball spot, okay? Hit with a paintball. So every time you sin, there's a red spot that gets hit that's on you, okay? So, every, so you, you, you tell your first lie, boop. Tell your second lie, you're not good to your parents. Boop. As you're older, you get involved in sexual sin. Boop, 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 boop. You begin to be covered with red spots. In fact, by the time you're probably nine or ten years old, the red spots are so thick on you, you got four or five inches because we struggle with sin, don't we? I mean, we are good at sinning. We get completely covered with this. I mean, it is, there's so much sin on us, so many stains on us, so many paintball spots on us that we are literally burdened down with our sin. How is it that I can be in the presence of God for all of eternity? Because a price was paid for that sin. Scripture says that Jesus took the sins of the world on himself, that every sin as he was on the cross was transferred to him. So let's imagine that now you're at the cross covered with sin. You're watching Jesus. I mean, you're enamored by what's taking place because this is Jesus. This is the forgiver. This is the healer. This is the deliverer. This is the greatest man you've ever seen in your life doing things no one has ever done, ever. And he says he's God's son. As he hangs on that cross, he says these words, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. And in his final moment, he screams, it is finished. And scripture says he breathes his last. In that moment, he's saying the final sacrifice has been sacrificed. The blood that was necessary for forgiveness of sins, for every man's sin who would be willing to join me on this journey and be my child, 
Every one of those people is forgiven of their sins. And you suddenly feel this, this, this lightness. It's like you're weightless. And you look down and there's no red on you. Every sin that you ever committed has been removed and you are white as snow. Isaiah wrote these words, though your sins be as scarlet, they can be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, you can be as wool. So come, let us reason together. What happened on the cross? What happened on the cross was this, my brothers and sisters. Every sin you have ever committed, any sin you're committing in this moment, and any sin you will commit in the future was taken on Jesus. You are no longer spotted with sin. You are white as snow. Jesus took your sin upon himself so that you would not feel or know condemnation in your lifetime or in eternity. Now, we've got a problem. Some of y'all are asking this question in your minds. If that's true, brother, then why is it that I feel guilt and shame a lot for my sin? If it's true, then why do I feel guilt and shame in my sin. The reason you do is because there is an enemy. Jesus tells us that the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. The enemy wants you to be burdened down with shame and guilt when Jesus wants you to know the freedom and joy of having no sin on you. Now I want to throw the pause button on for just a moment. When you start talking about topics like this and looking at what Scripture says, somebody in the room who is, who is new in Christ or young in Christ may be thinking, ooh, license to sin. Just the opposite is true. Just the opposite is true. We're looking at Romans 8, but in Romans 7, Paul says, the things I don't want to do, I do, and the things I should do, I don't do. He sins. Then in his pain, he cries out, wretched man that I am. You see, to take license to sin without any sense of conviction may mean that you are not in Christ. There's a difference between condemnation and conviction. Condemnation comes from the enemy. What the enemy does is he tells you again and again and again, the identity that you should have in Christ is not your identity. So let me if I can describe this for you. Condemnation says a person who struggles with pornography or deals with those kinds of issues, the enemy begins to whisper in their mind again and again and again and again, not you have an issue, but you are a pervert. And you hear it again and again, pervert, 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 pervert. He begins to write on your mind an identity that is not true. Somebody who's committed adultery, even though they've repented and moved forward, the enemy whispers again and again and again, adulterer, 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 adulterer. Someone who struggles with lying. You're a liar in his mind or her mind. Liar, 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 liar. That is condemnation. The enemy wants you to feel condemned so you cannot know the joy of Christ. And if you're not joy, finding joy in Christ, you begin to back away from Christ. Conviction is quite different. It's the Holy Spirit. You, you, begin, you begin to pull yourself away from Christ in condemnation, or in, when you're in condemnation. But when you're under conviction, the Holy Spirit draws you to God for, to ask forgiveness and repentance so that you can feel the freedom from your sin. 
The Holy Spirit loves you so much that he draws you to Christ when you sin so that you can know the intimacy of being forgiven when my father didn't spank me that day. I don't think I'd ever felt love like that to that point in my life. Because grace is a great, recommend, great reference for forgiveness. Now, I want you to capture in this passage why we can understand this a little bit. It says, for those who live according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. Listen closely. Set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. Your mind is the incubator where your sin is placed before your action actually happens. Sometimes it's one second, sometimes it's years. I've spoken to men as a pastor who have said to me, Rick, for six months, I pondered whether or not to get into this relationship with this woman other than my wife. Incubator for sin and finally stepped in because they dwelt on the flesh. First Corinthians remind us that there are no sin that comes our way, no temptation comes our way that we don't get an out on before we move to sin. If you focus on the flesh, you will find yourself sinning in the flesh. And once you sin, the enemy begins to whisper to you and plants this new identity in your mind. A prominent pastor once went to Hong Kong. When he got to Hong Kong, he was walking down the streets and he saw this tattoo parlor. And the sign out front said, you know, you can get whatever you want. You know, if you want a flag on you or the Navy seal or whatever. But he was really intrigued by this one statement that you could get on your body. Of course, you can do whatever you like, but this was kind of a recommendation that you might consider. And the phrase was, born to lose. Now, he was kind of overcome with this. Knowing the human spirit, he thought, who would want to get that on their body? Who in the world would want to get that place in their body? So he went in and talked to the guy that owned the place and said, do people really get that tattoo? And the guy in broken English said, basically said, yes, they do. And the pastor said, I just can hardly believe that they do that. And this is what his, this Chinese guy's response was in broken English. On the mind before on the body. If the enemy can get on your mind an identity that contradicts Christ's love for you, on your mind, if we're not careful, it then gets tattooed on our hearts. And now we are completely addicted to and overwhelmed by and identified in our minds and in our hearts by a false identity. But my brothers and sisters, if you're in Christ, you are not under that condemnation. And greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. The Holy Spirit has the power for you to overcome that condemnation. You have freedom in Christ to not be in the closet hiding in your prison, in your guilt and shame, because you have been set free when Jesus went to the cross. That is just a fact. You need to begin hearing what Christ says about you. There's a movie my wife and I love called The Help. Anybody seen The Help? Great film. Uh, it's about uh, some folks who actually work in homes and help kind of wealthy folks and, um, in their cleaning maids, that kind of thing. But they also take care of the children. And there's one scene in that movie where we find a young girl and her mother spanks her publicly after this girl makes a mistake. Uh, misrepresentation of Christ for sure. When that little girl steps away from her mother, the help 
grabs that little girl and gets down on her level and reminds her of something she said to her a million times. Looks that little girl in the eye and she says this. She's wanting to plant this in this girl's heart for the rest of her life. You is good. You is kind. You is important. My brothers and sisters, God says to you, no matter what the enemy says, you is chosen. You is my child. You is cherished. And I'm preparing a place for you in my house so that we can be together forever. He loves you. He loves you like no one else ever has or no one else ever could. And I want you to realize deep down in your being, I want some of y'all this morning to be delivered from the shame and guilt that you're under right now. I want you to know that God can do that. I don't know how many of y'all have ever heard the name Michael English. Michael English was a gospel singer and uh, found himself in a very bad situation. He probably got a little carried away with himself after selling millions of records and having multiple Dove Awards, the highest award you can get as a gospel singer. He had a marital affair that led to a period of public shame, divorce, and broken relationships, drug addiction. He even at one point was homeless. I will not forget, I'm watching a video, and in this video, he has been, he has come to the realization that I'm praying many of you come to this morning, and that is that even though he sinned desperately, that Jesus' blood washed every sin stain off of him. And in this moment, it's one of those Gaither videos, and they're all sitting around, and as they're sitting there, Bill Gaither uh, turns to him as they're in the middle of a song and says, Um, Michael, would you sing that next verse? And there's a pause. You can tell he's not sure he can get through it. And then in in a broken voice trying to sing, he said something like this. So long I had searched for life's meaning, enslaved by the world and my greed. Then the door of the prison was opened by love. For the ransom was paid, I am free. I am free from the guilt of tomorrow. I am free from the guilt of the past. For I've traded my shackles for a glorious song. I am free. Praise the Lord, free at last. I'm free from the guilt that I carried. From that dull, empty life, I'm set free. For when I met Jesus, he made me complete. He forgot the foolish man I used to be. I'm free from the guilt of tomorrow. I'm free from the guilt of the past. For I've traded my shackles. For a glorious song, I'm free. Praise the Lord, free at last. Amazing grace. Stand and sing with me. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost. But now I am 
was blind, but now I see. When we've been there ten thousand years, bright shining as the sun, we've no brothers and sisters this morning I am praying that your chains will be gone before you leave this room you can live in the glorious joy of the whiteness of Jesus Christ you can know the freedom from shame and guilt for some of y'all what it means is you need to pray and receive Jesus this morning when we start to sing this song in just a moment together there'll be someone here to speak with you I'll be here brother Warren will be here to speak with you if you've never asked Christ into your life believing him to be the son of God died resurrected from the dead and you're willing to live your life on his behalf this morning is your morning we'll be here to share with you how to make that happen and you can leave this place knowing that when Christ returns you'll stand before Jesus in the correct line in the line where there is no condemnation but for some of you who are my brothers and sisters in Christ, the enemy's been lying to you for many years. What you need to do this morning in just a moment when we start singing is you just need to bow your heads and pray, Jesus, I'm going to hold firm to your promise. I'm not going to allow the enemy any longer to whisper identities in my mind and tattoo those things on my mind that move to my heart that will keep me from knowing that I am your child, that I am cherished that I am chosen and that I am yours forever and there is no sin on me. When I heard a sermon on this topic, probably just 10 years ago, I had carried the weight of sin for an entire lifetime almost. And I prayed the prayer I just mentioned to you. And it was as though all those stains were removed in that moment. They had, been they had been removed earlier, but the enemy had been reminding me of them again and again and again and again and again and again. And this morning, you can be free. Allow him to do his work in you this morning. Because he wants you to have joy almost more than anything in the world. In fact, he sent a son to die so that you could know that joy. Let's let it happen this morning.